Good morning, everybody. It's uh, nice to, to be back together and worshiping together after, uh, after the hurricane. And even though we did not get much, uh, we were very blessed in that. But still, uh, it's good to be back together and worshiping with, with God's people. Um, and with the hurricane, I don't know about everybody else, but uh, for, for our family, to uh, just for peace of mind and, and looking out for the safety of our children, we actually packed up and we hit the road uh, to Aiken, uh, you know, a bit further inland and uh, the, the bustling city and excitement of, of Aiken, the, the farming area of, of South Carolina. Uh, but on the drive there, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big music guy, and I just I had this urge to pull out some old CDs. And uh, for those of you that have been in the church for a while, you might enjoy this. But I, I pulled out an old DC Talk album, the, the Jesus Freak album, and it, it was so, I felt like I was in high school again. And, uh, but one of my, my favorite uh, tracks, and it's, the, it's actually the intro to the track, the, for What If I Stumble, there's a quote uh, from a, a, a pastor, author named Brennan Manning. And he says, and this is how the, the, the song opens, the quote says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their, by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds Unbelievable. And I remember hearing that for the first time when I was in high school and it just blew my mind. But even now I hear that and, it, and it, it, those words are heavy and they, they ring true. But I also see that it, it's, it's more than, than just faith. Obviously, for those of us uh, that are believers, for those of us that follow Christ, these words are very applicable and true. But honestly, that same logic could apply to any area of, of our lives. I mean, we live in a world... Uh, we live in a culture today, uh, thanks to, to social media and just the ease of access of information with the internet and, and everything, where everyone is under a constant microscope. Everyone's lives are constantly being examined, and it, it, it ranges from everything, uh, from, from politicians to, to movie stars and entertainers and, and football players and or as I like to call them, sports ball. But, but it, regardless of what area of, of life you are in or who you follow or whatever, everyone is constantly under this, this scrutiny and this examination uh, with, with pride parades and a Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and uh, you, you're, you're either kneeling with Nike or you're burning your Nike apparel in protest. Like, everyone's lives are under this constant examination. And everyone is watching, and they're, they're basically asking, is that person going to behave the way that they say that they believe? It's not just about our faith, but it's in every area of life. Is this person actually going to be consistent and authentic? And is their, their action going to match up with what they say? It's a matter of hypocrisy or authenticity. And this isn't new. This isn't just something for our culture today. 
This is what James is talking about in this passage. He's writing about a faith that leads to action. That it's not just a, a, a word service. It's not just something that these people have uh, or a culture that they grew up in, but that their very lives are shaped by what they believe. And James is saying that everyone, everyone acts according to what they truly believe. Because it's easy to say one thing with your lips, but your actions betray what you truly believe. The things that you trust in. The things that you hope for. Those are the things that your life will live out. And so James is saying that the Christian life should be lived so that your faith is evident by the way that you carry yourself, by the way that you treat people, by the way that you speak. That it's not just something that you, you do for a few hours a week and then you just go and live the rest of your life completely unchanged by the things that you say, but that your faith dictates the way that you live. And I actually have a, uh, a handy little, um, I don't want to just refer to it as a rhyme, but while, while I was preparing this, it, it, it rhymes. And it, but it's helpful just to, for understanding this passage and understanding that a faith that grows and a faith that goes leads to a faith that glows. And I'll unpack that a little bit more as we keep going, but before we go any further, let me pray uh, that, uh, that the Lord will be here with us and that he would uh, pour out his truth and his spirit in this time. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are thankful uh, for the freedom and the opportunity to come and receive your word, that we can come and worship with other believers, that we can come with our struggles and our doubts and our fears, and we can come here and lay them at the foot of your throne and say, God, we want to believe Help us in our unbelief. God, we thank You for this time and we ask that You would pour out Your Spirit in this place, that You would uh, speak through Your Word, that You would speak through a broken vessel such as myself, that these, these words, that Your Word would not just fall on deaf ears, but God, that Your Spirit would radically change our hearts and transform our minds. And that you would be molding us into the image of your Son. Do that now. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now last time we were together, uh, two weeks ago, for a quick recap, uh, James is writing this letter to a group of believers, uh, as he calls it, in the dispersion. That these are, are, this isn't just a, a, a church and a time of prosperity, but these are believers that have been scattered throughout the area after Stephen was stoned. These are believers that are fearing for their lives. These are believers that are being oppressed and persecuted and out of fear have ran. It's to that audience that he's writing. And he's writing about, uh, or last, uh, not last week, two weeks ago, we were talking about the trials and temptations uh, that, that these believers are experiencing and will experience. And the, the faith that endures and so as we move into this passage today, he starts to unpack what does that even look like? He's already addressed this community and, say, and says, I know that you're suffering. I know that you're hurting. 
And God is with you in your trials and temptations. But let's unpack what that looks like. This isn't just a general letter. This isn't just to a, 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 a whole community. This is written specifically toward believers. And for those of you that are here this morning that might not uh, have a, a faith or a belief in, in Jesus or, or even anything about this Christian faith, that's okay. Because these words are still true. But James is writing specifically to a group of believers and he's saying that in your struggles and in your heartache and in your suffering, this is what the daily life of a follower of Christ should look like. And he starts off in verse 19 and he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the way that it's written, he's actually, it's almost like he's saying, hurry up and listen. Hurry up and stop. Because I, if you're anything like me, as soon as other people start talking, we automatically start formulating a response in our heads. We're not actually listening to the person. We're not actually hearing the person, but we're waiting for that other person to stop so that way we can get our point in. And James is saying, that's not the life of a believer. Don't do that. Stop. Be slow to speak. Hurry to listen. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Throughout the, the, uh, the New Testament, a lot of times you'll, you'll see Paul refer to the righteousness of God and he's often referring to it as this status uh, that uh, in the, uh, the work, the accomplished work of Christ, that uh, we are given a status of righteousness, that we are made righteous. And this is not what James is referring to in this process. And it, it's kind of weird because we just have the word righteousness, but then there's all the, the Greek nuances and, and suffixes. and pre- I'm not going to get into the, the, the Greek geekery of, of all of the, uh, the language. But the way that it's written here, it's like he, he's saying the righteousness of God is a holy lifestyle. That it's not just a status that you earn, but that if your life is described by anger that that will not lead to the righteousness of God. It will not lead to holy living. It it does not help you in the process of sanctification in growing in your faith. As I mentioned before, that a faith that grows, this is what James is talking about. He's talking about uh, slowing down, listening, and not reacting, not jumping to, to anger or, or, or complaining, uh, because remember, he's writing to a group of people that are suffering, they're struggling, they're, this isn't the easy breezy time of life, life is not good right now. And in human nature, for me, and I'm assuming it's also the same for you, when struggle comes, when trials and temptation comes, that's the time where it's easiest to just lash out, to say, you know what, I've been suffering, I'm hurting, and I've had enough. I'm just going to deal with this, get it over with. 
And James is saying, that does not produce righteousness. That is not the holy lifestyle of a follower of the living God. He's saying that if you want a faith that grows, if you want this righteousness of God, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And in full confession, I will admit that I struggle with this. Uh, For those of you that know your your Myers-Briggs personality types, if you've ever done anything like that, I am what is known as a high feeler. Some people wear their heart on their sleeve like I'm waving mine around, like my emotions are like at the service at all times. And I struggle with this because there are times, especially I love my children dearly, but life can be exhausting sometimes. For those of you that, that are parents, you, you know this, you understand this. For those of you that, know, that don't have children yet, that's okay because I'm pretty sure that there are times in your life that you get stressed out too. And when struggle comes, it's easy to just lash out at the people that you care for the most. And thankfully, I have been blessed with a very gracious wife uh, who is not only supportive and understanding, but she also has a background in counseling and therapy. And, and, this, and we, we were actually talking about this on the, the drive back from the... Uh, uh, from the, our stay in Aiken, but uh, uh, there's this acronym called HALT. Uh, and it's used to describe the, the way that a person behaves if they are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And, and that often will lead to uh, an, an anger or, or an, an, an outlash uh, of just uh, either verbally attacking somebody or whatever. But oftentimes, uh, let's be honest, I'm hungry most of the time. My, and with my, my, my anger, my emotions are at surface level, and my anger is, is right there with it. Or in my just exhaustion of, of life, of, of kids and work and everything else going on. And so my wife will be the first to say, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. Let's, let's examine this. Let's unpack this. You know, are, are you hurt? Are, are, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? And I have been blessed with a wife that helps me grow in my sanctification. Because she is often the first person to point me back to Jesus. And say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not just react, but let's analyze what's going on. And in a much greater way, this is what James is is saying here. He's not using handy acronyms or anything like that. But he's telling us, He's telling this church, which still applies to you today, slow down. In your hurt, in your suffering, do not react and jump to anger. Because that does not produce growth in the righteousness of God. He goes on to say, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This meekness, oftentimes our culture believes that the, the, the concept or, or, or descriptor of meekness means that you just let people walk all over you. Meekness is associated with weakness. But according to Scripture, meekness is actually it's a gentle power. 
almost like uh, the dam holding back a raging river. It doesn't look like much, but there is power beneath that. The gospel is described with meekness because it has the power to change lives. But it doesn't do it in a way that attacks people. It doesn't do it in a way that, uh, that, that hurts people. But it's a power that comes with humility and compassion. And James is saying, receive with meekness the implanted Word. This, this idea of, of putting down roots. That the Gospel, the Word itself has to take root in your heart and in your life. This implanted Word which needs to take root. For those of you uh, that work with plants at all, uh, I actually started doing a little bit of gardening myself, but you, you have to, to get the, the weeds and the, the other stuff out of there that, that doesn't belong because it will, it will take away the, the nutrients that these roots need. And, and in a, a, the same way, he's saying, pull up these weeds of filthiness and rampant wickedness. Because this gospel that needs to take root in your heart, that is the only thing that has the power to change you. It has the ability to save your soul. It's not, not just in salvation, because for, for the believer, you already have that. But when he's talking about saving your souls, he's saying that this, uh, this word that has the power to give you righteousness also has the power to sanctify you, to change you, to grow you. It has the power to one day restore you to full glory. This is the word of power, of righteousness that needs to take root. In 1 John, we read, uh, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. You cannot have both the righteousness of God and filthiness and wickedness. You cannot have love and hatred growing at the same time. You cannot pursue both light and darkness. And so James is saying, you cannot have a faith that grows in righteousness if it is buried under filth and wickedness of anger. And then the faith that grows is also a faith that goes. He goes on to say, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He says, don't just hear the word, do the word. There's this process of, of looking intently and examining and... and uh, it conjures up this imagery of a lot of times, again, for those of you that have spent any time around small children, we'll see something on the ground, say a bug or a caterpillar. We've seen it a million times. We don't care. 
especially these, when we were living in Hendersonville, our kids would find these caterpillars out in the yard, and they're fascinated by each and every single one, and they're down on their hands and their knees, and they're looking at it. They're like, look at how this thing moves and what it looks like. And there's this excitement. And James is saying, don't look intently at yourself in the mirror and then walk away and forget what you look like. And I know that's a strange analogy, but he says, if you are a person that hears what the Word says, but you do not do it, that's what you're doing. You're looking intently, and you're hearing this perfect law. This Word that compels us to love and compassion. This this Word that has the power to change your heart and your mind and your very life. But if you hear this Word and do not put it into action... You are like a person who walks away from the mirror and forgets what you even look like. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, with the the Old Testament. If you've spent time in the uh, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy much, but there's a a passage in Deuteronomy six known as the Shema, uh, and and this is a a passage that uh, is recited. Uh, or it's supposed to be recited daily, uh, several times a day as a prayer. Uh, the, 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 the nation of Israel would have it uh, over their doorpost. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I'm actually going to, I will share this nerdy bit with you, but Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Yahad. That's Hebrew for, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And there's supposed to be this constant reminder of who God is and what He has done. That we are His people. And there's this concept of repeating it consistently, constantly, of this intentional hearing it to the point where it's supposed to change your life. It's this this belief and this understanding of who God is and who you are in your relationship to Him is supposed to affect the way that you live your life. And of course, the Shema goes on to talk about the way that uh, parents are to teach their children and the way that we're supposed to uh, teach about who this God is to others around us. But it all stems from this understanding of who God is and who you are in relationship to Him. And understanding that should lead to an effect of the way that you live your life. That a right belief should lead to right action. But a person who hears the Word and has no action, when that Word has no effect, when it makes no difference, when it doesn't take root, James is saying that that is not the faith of a Christian, that it's not the faith of a believer, that it's not even true faith. In Matthew 7, Jesus Himself says, not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. There are plenty of people who hear the Word and even might even agree, yeah, that's a great thing. It sounds really nice. 
But Jesus Himself says that there are going to be people one day that say, you know what, I heard Your Word. I think You're a great teacher. I think You're a great person. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Because it's not enough just to hear the Word. But it needs to be a Word that takes root and leads to action. Not action to earn God's favor, but action that stems out of the favor that God has already given you. He says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Not an earthly blessing. This isn't just a, a name it and claim it understanding of the gospel. This isn't, you know, do enough good things for God and, and all of your problems will go away. There, there will be no more suffering and all of your bills will be paid and you'll get one of those magic prayer cloths and everything will be better. But this is a blessing of righteousness. This is a blessing of understanding the faithfulness of a God who is with His people. This is the blessing of knowing a God who will not abandon you. Who will not give up on you. That He who began a good work in you will continue until the day of completion. The blessing is the righteousness and the presence of God Himself. And as I said earlier, a faith that grows and a faith that goes leads to a faith that glows. In the last section of this passage, James is summarizing everything that he's just talked about. And he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That true faith, true religion, is a faith that leads to action. And I know there's a a lot of talk about Uh, just this whole concept that religion is bad, you just need Jesus. But anytime you start living out your faith in action, that is your religion. It might not be a, a religion that meets in a church building, but the way that you live your life, the way the worldview that you adhere to that dictates the way that you go out and act and treat other people and the things that you say, that is the religion that you adhere to. And James is saying that if you go out, if you, if you hear the Word and don't do it, if you go out and you just live this life uncontrolled, that religion is worthless. And there's two points that he's making here at the end. He's saying, love the unloved. He talks about visiting the orphans and the widows and their affliction. Love those that are unloved. Defend the defenseless. Help those who cannot help themselves. 
And I know this flies in the face of, of our uh, uh, American Western individualism and, and our, 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 uh, our desire to, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps that, you know, I'm, I'm strong and independent and I don't need anybody to help me. And James is saying, no, no, no. The Christian faith demands that you go out and help those who cannot help themselves. That you go out and love those that others have said, you're all alone. The orphans who have no one to provide for them. The widows who have been abandoned and often neglected. Go out, be with them, love them, take care of them. And our culture today, there are so, so many areas where, where this applies. It's not just the orphans and the widows. There are so many people groups. There are so many uh, cultural gaps where people fall through the cracks. There are so many people in, in our world today, in our very neighborhoods, that are deemed unlovable. And James is saying that true religion, true faith in Christ, demands that you go out and you love the unlovable. Because that's what God did for you. That Paul describes in Romans that while you were still an enemy of God, Jesus died for you. That you were spitting in the very face of the one who was reaching out to love you. And Jesus came and lived and died in such a way to communicate the love of the Father, to restore a broken relationship that when we were still enemies of God, Jesus says, I will make you sons and daughters of God. That He takes the punishment that you deserve. That He rises from the grave and gives you His status. Because when you were unlovely, when you were unlovable, when you were helpless and dead in your sins, Jesus says, I'm choosing to love you first. And James says that the Christian faith is a faith that takes that understanding and goes out and shares it with other people. Not because they deserve that love, not because they've done anything to earn it, but because you were unlovable and now you are loved. Go out and love the unlovable. And he says that, the, that a true faith, true religion will change you. Again, uh, in our Western culture, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm attacking the American church. I'm, for, for all of, of her faults, the, the church is beautiful and the church is the bride of Christ, but we have this understanding in our Western mindset that you come in and be who you are. You don't have to change. And God will always love you regardless of what you do. And there is an element of truth to that. Come in. Bring your sins into the church. Bring your sins before the cross. But we serve a God who loves you enough to not let you stay that way. Not, he doesn't say, 
you have to change before you can come to me. But he says that when you come to me, I will not leave you unchanged. That he is the one who takes a heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. The gospel calls you and me to be more like Christ. And God says that when you come to me, I will begin molding you more and more in the image of my son. And if you call yourself a Christian and are still described by the world, or are still defined by the world's understanding, if there is no self, uh, self, self-restraint and no self-control, if you are not sharing the love of the Gospel that was given to you, then one would have to question has that word really taken root? Because a true understanding of of that faith, a true understanding of that relationship and what God has done for you should lead to action. A Christian faith should lead to Christian action. And so I want to ask, has the Gospel taken root in your heart? Not just being a hearer of the Word, but are you being a doer of the Word? Not to earn God's favor, but because God already loved you first. Not an obedience and an action to make Him love you more, but an obedience and and an action because He already loved you. And He calls you His child. Does your action betray the faith that you truly proclaim? Or does your action reflect a faith in a risen Lord who has loved the unlovable? Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to You this morning thankful for Your Word. We thank, we're, we're, we're thankful God, that we are not here to earn Your favor because we could never do enough or be good enough to make You love us. But God, because You loved us first, because You call us Your children, because You sent Jesus to die and rise again in our place, out of an understanding and appreciation of, and love of what You have done for us, God, let our understanding of the Word lead to faithful and obedient action. Let the Word take root and change our hearts and our lives. Let this Gospel so take root that we are forever changed by Your love. And we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.